Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to rend, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time of war, and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor, it is the gift of God." I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. Somebody said this. I like this quote. I thought I would just start the message off this way. Life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want, but you can only spend it one time. And that's the way our lives are, folks. And that's what Solomon's sort of talking about in these verses. As you know, as I asked prayer Wednesday night, I have read these verses. I have studied these verses. I have read other sermons on these verses, trying to really get an understanding of what God is giving us in his word here. Now, as we begin this third chapter, there's something we need to remember, and that is that the chapter and verse divisions were not in the original writing. Those have been provided by the translators to help us as we read through the Word of God. So what we know is that this is a continuous writing. Solomon doesn't stop with the end of chapter 2 and start a new subject or start some new idea as he begins in chapter 3. And so... As we come to the end of chapter 2, what does he remind us there in the end of that chapter? Well, he just says this, that the best that one who lives under the sun can do is just this, just eat, drink, and make his soul to enjoy his labor. That's it. Now, for the child of God, for those who know Christ as Savior, for those who live above the sun, God has wisdom and knowledge and joy. And so which would you rather do, live above the sun or live under the sun? Now in verses 2 through 8 here in this third chapter, Solomon presents us with 14 pairs of opposites. Now I'm not going to go through all 28 of those, all right? We'd be here for a while if we did, but I don't think it's necessary to do that. But he's 14 pairs of opposites that are going to take place in our lives. And these may occur randomly in our lives. He says to everything, there is a season. That word season talks about an appointed time, an appointed duration. Time talks about a duration of time. And so he says what's going to happen is all of these 28 events, we're going to explain a few of them. But all of these 28 events are going to happen in our lives. 
It's just appointed that is going to happen in our lives. Now, he's saying we're going to have to endure times as children of God and just as human beings, times that are good, times that are pleasant, times that are profitable. But by the same token, guess what? We're going to have to endure times that are unpleasant. We're going to have to endure times that are sad. We're going to have to endure times that are difficult to endure, difficult to put up with. Because he asked the question, what has a man of all of his labor under the sun? I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time on these 14 opposites because to do so might cause us to miss the message. I think that the Lord has for us in these verses. And so, again, we may see these as random events, but sometimes they're not random at all. Sometimes God allows, in his sovereignty, God allows or may even appoint some of these times, some of these things that we just read about to occur in our lives. Remember what Jesus said in the fifth chapter of Matthew, verse 45. He said, your father, which is in heaven, maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. See, we don't need to think that just because we're children of God that everything that happens to us is going to be pleasant. That it's always going to be sunshine and roses. Difficulties come to a child of God. We're living in a day, and I meant to mention this later on in the message, but I'll mention it now. We're living in a time when there are many people who don't want to hear anything negative. They don't want to think about anything negative. They don't want to think that anything negative happens. Well, I guarantee you that negative things are going to happen. And I don't know whether this applies or not, but there is a law in physics that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. If you're going to have a positive, you're going to have a negative. And so some bad things and some difficult things are going to happen to us. And by the way, it's no accident that these are 14 pairs of opposites. Because in the Bible, seven is the number of completion, isn't it? God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested because all was complete, all had been done, and he hallowed the seventh day. And so 14, or 28 either way, is a multiple of seven. And as one writer put it, this just encases the human experience. Encases the human experience. But they also reveal to us this thing that ultimately, you know who's in control of life? God is. God is in ultimate control. So we're going to quickly look over some of these seasons, some of these opposites that he mentioned in these first eight verses. We're not going to cover all of them, as I said. But the very first one says this, there's a time to be born and there is a time to die. And you know, those first two set the boundaries of all of the events of life. You come into life in birth, and you leave life in death. And so they're just like brackets about the human life. We start here, we end here. Well, what is going to happen in between? See, birth and death are not accidents. Birth and death are divine appointments. Now, if you don't believe that, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and as is appointed unto man once to die, okay, so death is appointed, and after this, the judgment. Listen to Psalm 139, verse 16. I love this verse. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. You know what he's saying? God saw me before I was ever formed in the womb. God knew me then. 
For those people who say that life doesn't begin until after birth or whatever they say today, no, there is evidence in the Word of God that life begins before we're even being formed. Psalm 90 and verse 10. Our days are numbered. What does it say there? The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet their strength and labor are sorrows, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. We live to be 70 and we think, boy, I've done something. We make it to 80. We think, boy, I've really done something. But what is our life filled with even as we reach those advances in years? Many times it's filled with labor and with sorrow. As soon as we are born, folks, we begin to die. The moment we come into this world, we're preparing to go out of this world. And again, everything that he names in verses 2 through 8 are going to take place in between those two brackets, birth and death. Now, without going over all 14 opposites, I want to cover just a couple of more to show you how they apply. He says there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. Now, in Solomon's day, obviously, I think people would have understood that probably in an agricultural way. And we know there's a time to go out and you wouldn't plant tomatoes this time of year. Not unless you want to pull up some dead tomatoes, plants in the spring. But there's a time for planting. There's, but how does it apply to us as children of God and as individuals? There are things sometimes that just need to be added to our lives. We need some things in our lives. We need to add some things in our lives to help us grow as children of God. But listen, equally, there's some things we need to pluck up. Some things we need to get out of our lives. Colossians chapter 3 says this. We just covered it Wednesday night. Now put off also all these. And the Word of God tells us some things that we need to put out of our lives as those who know Jesus Christ as Savior. He says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. That word kill is not the usual word for murder. And so it probably has the idea of disease and physical illness. There are going to be times in our lives when we enjoy the healing of God in our lives, whether physically or spiritually. But then there are going to be times in our lives when the doctors walk in and they say, I'm sorry, I've done all I can do. And this is what you're facing. You're going to meet your maker in just a very short time. It says there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. You know, there are times that we just need a good friend our family member to come up next to us and put their arm around us and speak words of encouragement into our ears and our minds and our hearts. But there are times also we need that same friend or that same family member just to hold us out at arm's length and be honest with us, tell us the truth and say, look, I can't go along with you on this because you're wrong and you don't need to be doing that. And most of us don't want to hear that, do we? But the Word of God says there's a time that we need that sort of thing. And then he says there's a time for war and a time for peace. There are times we're going to have to battle. There are times we may have to fight tyranny in our nation. But also there are times that we're going to have to fight for the truth. Stand up for the Word of God. Know what we believe and why we believe those things that we believe and just fight that battle for the Word of God. And then there's going to be times that we can enjoy that sweet peaceableness that God gives us. 
So you see, all of these things are going to happen in our lives. And remember that God in his sovereignty has allowed and sometimes appoints these things to happen in our lives. That goes for the bad. It goes for the difficult. It goes for the painful, as well as the things that we may enjoy, the things that we may like, the things that are delightful to us. It all comes from God, whether he allows it or he appoints it even though it may not make a bit of sense to us. Why is this happening to me now? Well, God knows. And Solomon tells us why in verse 14 God allows these things. Did you notice what he says there in the 14th verse of this third chapter? I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. And that word fear is not the cowering fear, but that word fear is a fear for a, an awe, a reverence of awe, where we just stand before God and we say, how wonderful, how mighty, how great is our God. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at some, after looking at these thoughts, we're going to look at some thoughts based on the rest of the verses that we read. And then we're going to see how we should respond to the seasons of our lives. First of all, let me give you this thought. Life can be glimpsed, but not grasped. Life can be glimpsed, but not grasped. Look at verses 10 and 11. I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. That word world literally means generally time out of mind, past or future. In a very practical way, it can be understood to mean eternity. God has set eternity in our hearts. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, let's first of all look at what the Jew of that day, his idea of eternity, and many times in the Jew of that day, his idea of eternity was as far back as I can imagine or as far forward as I can imagine. That was eternity to him. I challenge the Sunday school class, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I want to get you working on this. I challenge the Sunday school class this morning. Think about eternity. Just dwell on eternity for a few moments. See, it's, even though it's present in our hearts, and this is what we're going to see in just a moment, it is almost inconceivable in our minds. All right? We know eternity exists. We know that we're going to go into eternity, but trying to dwell on trying to think about it is very difficult sometimes. Solomon is speculating here on man's ability to look backward and to look forward. But you know, even though we're able to look back and we're able to look forward, we're unable, we're incapable of solving all of the problems which present themselves today. God has placed, I said, the concept of eternity in our hearts. Anyone could just say to you, there's got to be more to life than these 28 chaotic events that are mentioned in verses 2 through 8. There's got to be something beyond this. I mean, otherwise, it's just we're born, we live, we die. Somebody said we, we're born, we go to school, we get a job, we go to work, we come home from work, we go back to work, we come home from work, and we do that for a long time, and then we die. But there's a sense of eternity. Now, some folks have had it educated out of them. Some folks have placed it in the back of their minds so that they don't think about it. But remember what I've mentioned several times before, in every individual there is a God-shaped vacuum. 
And we say there's something missing. There's something that's just not right. Well, it may be our concept of eternity. But he says, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. God has put into the men's mind the notion of the infinity of duration. That's a nice term, isn't it? Infinity of duration. Yet the beginning and end of things is beyond his grasp. Go back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay, what was there before the beginning? Huh? Well, God was there. Well, try to think eternity past and God existing in eternity past before he speaks the earth into creation. Can you do that? Think about the end. Jesus is coming back. We know that. When he comes back, he's going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. And then there's going to be the destruction of Satan and so forth. And then what's going to happen to this heaven and this earth? What does the scripture say? God's going to melt it down. God's just going to melt it down with fire. And then what's he going to do? Create a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Well, what are you and I going to do then? Can you imagine existing without ever... See, children, our grandson had a birthday yesterday. So he turned 12. And the first thing I said is one more year and he's 13. You know, you get a teenager in a year. And so children start thinking about, well, next year I'll be this age, or you ask a small child, how old are you? Well, I'm six and a half. You know, they're not six, they're not seven, they're six and a half, or something like that. And so this idea of age and getting older is built into us, and yet when we start thinking about eternity, we wonder what form am I going to exist in? What's it going to be like to live and know that I'm never, ever going to die and live in the presence of the Lord? And I don't think in this flesh our minds can grasp that. Well, just as uncontrollable as our thinking of eternity and eternity past is the idea of life and birth and death. See, the conflict is all around us because we live daily with things that start anew and things that end. We get up in the morning, we take the newspaper and we open it up. Well, we pull it up online these days. But anyway, we get up in the morning, we pull up the news online and we read about tragedies and people dying or we read about crimes and people being harmed and people being killed. And right there before us is, is death and the ending of things. We may go to the obituaries and start to look at the obituaries and say, well, I knew this person, I didn't know that person, but we read about death. In fact, our mother used to say this, she said, we're all going to die if we live long enough. And there's a great deal of truth to that. We are surrounded by products that wear out, that wear down. You know, I contend that we live in a replacement society where things are made to be replaced. They're made to wear out, so we'll have to buy a new one. But products that wear out, that wear down, that fall apart, that we have to buy a new one to replace it. Our homes, do you realize that if we don't keep up our homes, in fact, a college tried this test one time, they built a house and just let it sit for 20 years. They didn't make any improvements. They didn't paint it after they'd painted it the first time. They just set it out and let it sit. And within 20 years, it was completely dilapidated. So our very homes, if we don't take care of them, are going to fall apart. Our cars, our appliances, they'll all decay into ruin. Even one of these days, the Energizer Bunny's batteries are going to run down, folks. Everything around us begins and ends. 
And no matter how hard we work at it, no matter how much we study, we are incapable of fully understanding God's design for our own lives, much less the universe. Amen. And that's what Solomon's telling us. We can get glimpses. We may get a little bit of understanding about things here and there, but we can never step back far enough and see things as God does. I was going to use an illustration this morning. I decided not to because I couldn't find the picture I wanted. But I was going to get a satellite picture of our building, the back part where the, you know, it's just the roof back there. I may think the blue would give us away right here, but the back part. And I was going to zoom in on it where just a little bit of it showed. And I'm going to say, what was that? And we'd look at it and we'd try to figure out. And then the next picture was going to be a zoomed back picture of this building from above. See, God sees things from a lot farther away than we do. God sees the whole picture. It's sort of like watching a parade, you know. When you're watching a parade, you can only see what's going by right now. But if you could get up in an airplane or something like that and look down, you could see the entire parade at one time. Well, God sees it all at once. Everything is an eternal present tense with God. There is no past tense. And that's how he sees the universe. It's human nature to want to know exactly how our lives are going to turn out. And folks, we can't do that. We cannot understand. We can't know how our lives are going to turn out. We live minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, month by month, year by year. Listen to what James said over in the fourth chapter of the book of James. James chapter 4 beginning in verse 13. Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. This man had his plans all laid out, didn't he? Not only was he going to go a certain place and stay a certain time, he was going to make a certain amount of money. He had it figured out. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. Hey, what's going to happen to you tomorrow? We don't know. Whereas you know not what's going to happen on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. We really have no idea what the next hour is going to bring in our lives. You know, just one phone call can change my schedule for the whole day. It can change yours too. I have people ask me, what are you doing tomorrow afternoon? What are you doing next Tuesday? What are you doing next Friday? You know what my answer is? I don't know. I have absolutely no idea because one phone call, one phone call can change all of that and it can happen in just a moment. I don't keep a day planner, folks. Because I'd be scratching out a lot of stuff or adding a lot of stuff. We wonder how. We wonder when our lives are going to end. We don't know. That is in the hands of God. I'm sure that most folks who have gone into eternity did not have it on their calendar that this is the day I'm going to die and go into eternity. It happens. And we need to be prepared for it. So see, we settle for a glimpse. We just settle for a glimpse of life. And unfortunately, what happens is when we realize, we recognize, we consider that there is a God in heaven and all that takes place is under his control, our old nature takes over and tries to figure out God or tries to figure out our lives. I know there are some people that try to manipulate God. You say, what do you mean? You can't manipulate God. You're right, but some folks try. 
All of a sudden, they want something. They need something. There's a need in their lives. And say, well, I'm going to start going to church now. I'm going to pray about this, ask God to grant it, and I'll start going to church, and I'll get real godly for a while until God grants what I want. That's trying to manipulate God, and you can't do that. The best we can do is get a glimpse of human affairs. But we cannot, as Solomon said, find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I'll say again, we're incapable of understanding God's great desire, God's great design for even our lives. Does God have, you ask, does God have a design for my life? You better believe he does. Over in the book of Jeremiah, we'll just use this as an example. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Listen to what God says to Jeremiah. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God said, Jeremiah, I had a plan for you before you were born. Acts the 23rd chapter, the apostle Paul was dealing with some issues. And there were those who wanted to put Paul to death. Forty or more had made a covenant with themselves or among themselves that they would not eat or drink until they had killed Paul. But the Holy Spirit came to Paul in the night. And you know what he said? You're going to witness of me in Jerusalem. i got a plan for you. And you're going to get to go to Jerusalem and witness of me there. So God has a plan for our lives. God has a plan for your life, a desire for my life, and we need to know God's plan. So in verses 12 and 13, Solomon says the best that we can do is just live under the sun. You know, live in this flesh while we're here now. So here's the second point. Life can be managed, but it cannot be manipulated. Life can be managed, it cannot be manipulated. Look at verse 12. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor, it is the gift of God. Matthew Henry said this, Everything is done well as in creation, so in providence. And we shall see it when the end comes, but till then we are incompetent judges of it. You know what he's saying? We can look a little ways back and we see God's hand of providence at work in our lives. I can see God's providence in bringing me here, what was it, eight years ago as pastor of this church. But here's what we can't see. We can't look forward and see God's hand of providence tomorrow or next week or next month. So we would be an incompetent judge of God's providence, wouldn't we? if we just judged based on what we could see. He went on to say this, but we see, we see but the middle of God's works, not from the beginning of them. Then we should see how admirable the plan was laid in the divine councils, nor in the end of them, which crowns the action. Then we should see the product to be glorious, but we must wait till the veil be rent and not arraign God's proceedings, nor pretend to pass judgment on them. Don't pass judgment on how God deals with you. Just thank God. Now, this is neither Calvinism nor fatalism, okay? What does Calvinism say? Calvinism says God's got everything planned out. You can't do anything about it. If you're supposed to be, you will be. And if you're not supposed to be, you won't be. And so everything's just already set by God. That's Calvinism. We don't believe Calvinism. It's not fatalism. Fatalism says you can't do anything about it, so why worry? No, he's not saying that we cannot control what happens in life and therefore we just ought to sit back and wait for it to happen. That's the Calvinistic attitude. 
Neither is he saying that our lives are so planned that we can't make any decisions and we don't have the opportunity to make decisions. Remember, life's like a coin. We may not be able to control what happens to us in our lives, but you know what we can control? We can control how we respond to what happens in our lives. Amen. And the Word of God tells us how to respond to the things that happen in our lives. We could take the attitude that since all is under God's control and we can't change anything, we'll just check out of life. But look at verse 11. Solomon says, He that hath made everything beautiful in his time, also he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Verse 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear him. Those give a certain reward and positive approach to our lives. God's in control. God can take care of our lives. And no human being... No human being is able to add to or take away from what God's desire for our lives is. We cannot manipulate life or the seasons of our lives for personal benefit, for personal profit. We don't always get to choose when we will experience the various seasons, do we? I don't get to choose when I might not feel well. I don't get to choose when this thing or that thing might happen. So we don't get to choose those things. But here's what we can know. We can know that our lives are in God's hands and that God cares about us and that we are secure in Him. Somebody said it this way, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow, don't we? Amen. And whatever happens, God's in control. So those are the two thoughts, but how do I respond to the seasons of life? The things that happen to me that I can't control, the things that are either allowed by God or appointed by God, how do I respond to these things on a daily basis? I only have four of them, but here's number one, choose faith over fear and frustration. Choose faith. Choose to trust God over fear and frustration. Not only can we be assured that God can use those seasons to accomplish his purpose in our lives. But what does he say? He can make everything beautiful. And that's why I thought of that song, Something Beautiful. The idea of making everything beautiful here is the idea of making everything fit perfectly. And God can take everything in our lives and just fit it perfectly according to his will and according to his desire and design for our lives. What does Romans 8.28 say? For we know, and I'm glad it says no, not hope, not think, not wish. For we know that all things work together for good to them who love him, to them who love God, to them who are the called, and it's according to his purpose. God can take whatever happens in our lives and God can use it to grow us as his children and he can use it to get glory from our lives. That's what God can do. That's how mighty and how powerful our God is. Choose faith over fear and frustration. Number two, choose gratitude over grumbling. Okay? Choose gratitude over grumbling. I don't know why it happened. I don't deserve this, right? We say that sometimes, don't we? You don't have to admit it. I know I'm human enough to know. Do you think I don't sometimes as a pastor think, well, that shouldn't have happened and I don't deserve that? Well, I do. Don't look at me like that. You know, I'm just as human as you are. It gets back to enjoying the things that God gives us. 
And he gives us eating, and he gives us drinking, and he even gives us our work. And so the word of God says, just enjoy those things. We can choose to look around and grumble all we want. I noticed the price of gasoline come down a little bit. Guess what? It's going to go back up. I read in the newspaper yesterday, it says the electric company officials are already saying expect higher electric prices this winter. Well, they're preparing us for it, right? Or they're getting us ready to do what they're going to do. And we could grumble about that. But just enjoy what God gives us. Be grateful for the things he has given us to enjoy and enjoy those things. Look, we can still come together to worship God. We can sing these songs of praise. We can enjoy seeing our brothers and sisters in Christ. So choose gratitude over grumbling. Number three, choose good over gain. Choose good over gain. Look at verse nine. What profit hath he that worketh at all that wherein he laboreth? And then look at verse 12. I know that there is no good in them. And the idea here is I know this is the best thing for them. I know there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. In Ecclesiastes, we've seen that really in laboring under the sun, there's nothing really to be personally gained in our labor under the sun. But we can be a part of God's purpose and God's plan and God's design in our own lives and in somebody else's life. Remember, there's a time to embrace. There's a time that you have a brother or sister in Christ or a friend, maybe a lost friend, that just needs you to come up and put your arm around them and encourage them and pray for them and lift them up. And you can be a part. I can be a part of somebody's life, God's plan in somebody's life by doing good to other people. We live in a world that thinks only of self. What can I get out of it? What's in it for me? I'm going to look out for number one. I know this is an old, old acrostic, but that's okay. I'm an old, old preacher. Thank you. The word joy. How do you get joy out of life? Jesus, others, and then yourself. Put God and put others ahead of yourself. Choose good over gain. Then number four. Choose to fear God rather than fear life. Folks, I think it would be easy to fear life today. I think we can look at those 14 pairs of opposites and see that in half of them, there's something we don't really look forward to. We don't want to look forward to. How many of us would look forward to illness? How many of us would look forward to a friend telling us, you're wrong, you need to change? How many of us would look forward to these things? But Solomon said in verse 14, I know whatever God does, he does it that men should fear before him. We, uh, again, live in a world where there's reason to fear. Terrorism, the economy, the erosion of moral standards, our nation on the brink of socialism. Folks, there's reason to fear. But you know what Proverbs 19 verse 23 says? The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. The fear of the Lord. Don't fear life. Reverence God. Fear God. Respect God. And those are the four ways. I'm going to go over them right quickly again. Just name them of how to deal with the seasons of life. Choose faith over fear and frustration. Choose gratitude over grumbling. Choose good over gain. And choose to fear God rather than fear life. These 15 verses have been a challenge to me. 
I went the whole week, and I'm, I guess I was grumbling. I don't. Have, I can't get this. I can't figure it out. I don't know. And then on Thursday, things begin to come together. And it, to me, it's been a blessing to be able to deal with these verses. But I'm going to close with this. In New York City, on Fifth Avenue, at the entrance to the RCA building, I guess that's what they call, what, Rockefeller Center or whatever, there's a statue of Atlas. Y'all remember Atlas? The most physically fit, powerfully built man in the world. And you know what he's doing? He's standing like this. He's got the world on his shoulders. Right across the street, still on Fifth Avenue, in St. Patrick's Cathedral is a statue of the boy Jesus. Oh, he's about eight, nine, ten years old. And he's standing like this. And in this hand, he has the world. He's not straining. He's not giving any effort. But he's holding the world in his hands. We sing that song. You've got the whole world in his hands, right? You say, why are you telling us this in closing this message? As we face the seasons of life, we've got a choice. I can carry the world on my shoulders. Or I can say, I give up, Lord. Here's my life. I give you my world. Amen. I'm just going to, I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read the words again to that song we just sang. If there ever were dreams that were lofty and noble, they were my dreams from the start. And hopes for life best were hopes that I harbored deep down in my heart. But my dreams turned to ashes. My castles all crumbled. My fortune turned to loss. Well, so what'd you do? <laughs> so I wrapped them all in the rags of my life and I laid them at the cross. And what does God do when we do that? He makes something beautiful, folks, out of our lives. We're going to go through times, difficult times in our lives. We're going to go through times that we wish we didn't have to go through. And we might even think nobody ought to have to go through this. But it's just bracketed there between birth and between death. And we have to deal with them. And things may not always go our way. They may not always go the way we want them to go. But again, we can control how we respond to them and how we react to them. And we can allow God to use us not only to be a blessing in our own lives, but to be a blessing in someone else's life. Amen. It may come through witnessing to someone that's lost, telling them of their need of Christ, that they'll repent toward God and accept Christ, they can be saved. It may come through encouraging someone to come visit this church and be a part of our services and hear the Word of God. It may just involve being a good friend, even to somebody that's lost, so that they have somebody they can talk to, confide in. But we do it for one reason. We do it for the glory of God.